You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Hey there. What follows is an audio version of an interview originally recorded as part of our Monster Talk Live streaming series that Karen and I hosted during 2020. As of this posting, we're not currently doing those live shows, but they are archived on YouTube. You can check the show notes for a link to this particular episode. And the live format's definitely something we're going to try to get back to in the future. These episodes do not get the normal editing treatment of a traditional Monster Talk, and because of the variety of issues that happen during live recordings, the audio quality may be wildly varied, and you should assume there will be some not-safe-for-work content, so I'm posting all of these as explicit just in case. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Monster Talk. Your contributions at patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk and your positive reviews on the podcasting platforms and applications that you use to listen Help us reach new listeners and spread the important message that monsters can be a great tool to learn critical thinking. We need critical thinking now more than ever. Monster Talk is hosted by me, Blake Smith, and my co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno. If you enjoy this show, please check out our deep catalog of fascinating interviews with experts about psychology, sociology, anthropology, folklore, religion, and more. Monster Talk. Uh, All right. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Welcome to Monster Talk Live. Is this our fourth yeah, episode? It, feels it like is our fourth. We've been doing this for a month already, which says a lot about how long we've been quarantining. And I think as a, I've been quarantining maybe two weeks even prior to that. 
And as an exercise in procrastination, I still have not posted our previous episodes on YouTube, but I'm going to. I'm going to. It's really going to happen. I believe it will happen this week, barring unforeseen horrors which well, the world you seems full of. now that you've already done it and oh yeah it, yeah if, if you can't see it it's probably something wrong on your end yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well good to see you anyway so it's sunday april the 12th and uh yeah we're still doing this because we're still quarantining and i don't know if anyone's here yet i still i'm not seeing anyone in the chat room normally we've got people coming through and saying hi maybe um they've forgotten already let me well i don't think so but in fact well you know this is real live and we're clearly using the same level of technology that the um Oh, here we go. Network TV is. Comments. Awesome. Yay, there we go cool yeah like i said there'd be a delay but that's all right so um good evening yeah good evening this is going to be fun. We, we've got a, a, you know, in, in this time when we, a lot of us are stuck at home with um, limited access to our old, old lives. Um, this will be a fun oh. look. Oh, yeah, by the way, yes, Happy Easter. Yeah. Um, happy Easter, everyone. Yeah, yeah. We can still say that even if we don't practice. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't practice all anyway. of the cultural stuff, but I certainly have candy. candy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We had a rainy Easter Hi, here. Everyone. Lots of good stuff. We've had a snowy Easter. Really? Yeah, it's snowing wow. in April. Yeah, it's been snowing all day. It hasn't really built up, but it has been snowing. So that's yeah. So, oh, uh, so again, um, for um, people who want to support the show, we are on monstertalk.org uh, and we are at mm-hmm. patreon.com forward slash monster talk. And mm-hmm. we're at Facebook. Just look up the word monster talk, all one word. You'll find us. And if you're watching this on the live stream, uh, mm-hmm. Feel free to post questions. We'll try to get to those tonight. We've got yeah. a really fun guest, a repeat guest, friend of the show, Jerry yes. Drake. I think he's uh, been on. This is probably his third time or fourth. Yeah, third or fourth. Probably. Yeah, so he's getting up there. Yeah. So, um, are you ready? To, we're going to be talking about um, a couple of things. Well, we'll yeah. introduce Jerry, but the yeah. we're going to be talking about uh, Black Eyed Kids and the Aurora UFO, uh, uh, which was part of the. The uh, great airship flap of the late 1800s. So yeah, wasn't that the, the very first uh, UFO sighting? Yeah, let's, let's bring in Jerry. You ready? Let's do that. I'm ready. Debug the Easter Bunny so my grandkids get off my back. <laughs> Hi, Hello. Jerry. Hello. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you doing? I'm good. And uh, since nobody's counting, this is my seventh appearance on Monster seventh. Talk. We were oh, definitely not counting. Sorry. So. <laughs> fourth, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. We're coming yeah. to us and live then... from a Barnes & Noble, it looks like. So. Yeah, this is a Barnes & Noble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, uh, this is the uh, most terrifying and cursed uh, Barnes & Noble in America, by the way. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> this is This is my home study in Pennsylvania slash currently my office workout room <laughs> conference center <laughs> yeah. we're trying to keep everything contained in one room during covid so yeah 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 oh, so well, very cool to have you back on again and so uh, this this episode is the text files text files we're going to be talking with you about uh, two investigations that you've conducted in texas so when were you in texas you used to live there I, I am from texas no oh. i was i was born in texas in 1974 out near okay. lubbock and uh you've been, uh, <laughs> you've been to lubbock wow yeah yeah uh, you better tell the legend story did you turn the light out when you left <laughs> <laughs> no but you know 
we uh we'll actually we have an upcoming guest that we'll be talking all about lubbock really soon oh, so. oh okay yeah, great yeah, yeah. i think i might know who that guest is so there you yeah, go um, very likely probably do uh, yeah. um yeah so i grew up in texas uh lived the early part of my life out near lubbock in the middle of nowhere and then my parents moved to dallas uh in 1979 and i went to school there met my wife there and uh, we, we met in high school, well, late high school, and started doing these uh, sort of investigations together. This was the thing we had in common. <clears throat> On one of the episodes, I talked about the Goatman's Bridge, which has now been made famous by the, the Ghost Adventures crew. Uh, Vicky and I, that was our first investigation together. What was that? Together. Yeah. What's that? Oh, oh, bro, no, bro, no, bro. Uh, yeah. Um, and we, we investigated every major thing in Texas uh, over the years that we lived there. And, uh, we moved to Washington DC in 2000, in uh, 19, 2008. It's been a while. Okay. And we've been up here in Pennsylvania. We, we have a place in DC and a place here in Penn and York County is probably one of, it's considered one of America's sort of hotspots for the paranormal. That's one of the reasons we, we moved here. So this is just deep in lore in fact we were out investigating a spot yesterday so uh but we probably have enough investigations to actually sit down and fill a book on texas and a lot of them we did before the internet and before the history channel became the paranormal channel before the internet jerry how is that possible uh we're old how, well, no, how, how could you like how, could, how could you research anything before wikipedia so they had this they had this machine at the library and it, and it had you put these big reels of microfilm on it and you turned them and looked at old newspapers for 14 15 hours at a time we have oh, done that yeah, too yeah. <laughs> so most of the research i'm going to talk about tonight was actually done that way back in the old days by just going to the university mm-hmm. library and and going through old old files looking for creepy stuff charles ford style yeah that's a, a great way to do it i mean we've certainly like solved some mysteries that way by going back that far and a lot of that information still isn't online yet so yep. uh, it's fun to do that in the library we watched uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. With, uh, I nice. watched that with the kids the other night, which was fun. And mm-hmm. there's a point in the story where I paused and I said, "The kids, if you were in this movie, if you were having this happen to you, we're at the point now where we know what the mystery is. What would you do next?" And they just mm-hmm. sort of stared at me. I, I, I don't <laughs> think they got where I was going with this. I said, <laughs> "What would happen next is research. You need to go to the library." Go and then we library. hit play, and I'd never seen the movie before. And the very next thing is we go to the newspaper morgue, and then the library, and they start doing the. I say, it's the research phase. Is my favorite part. It's like it's exactly. You don't just start doing stuff. You you go find out what's going on first. So, well, my my wife my wife is an academic librarian, so you know I like to think she got hard in that field by doing this stuff i just somebody asked me one time what i what i wish my uh if i could have a superpower the superpower mm-hmm. i would like is to be able to do things via montage like oh yeah I my do, god i want to yeah. do all the research just put on like eye of the tiger and then all everything gets done before that song's <laughs> over like that's just, the research takes i'm working on a case right now that i've been working on for a uh, about six months and it's just even with access to online you know journals and stuff it's just really mm-hmm. a nightmare so yeah. but it's fun like it, it keeps you from uh you know having a life outside the home 
<laughs> well, I mean, we, we, None of us have right now. we are so <laughs> fortunate at how many books are available online or as ebooks right. oh, I mean, yeah. for people who like mm-hmm. to go back and do historical research. It's so much fun. Oh, by the way, someone mm-hmm. asked um, when these will be on YouTube, what's the URL going to be? That's why we have a switch to the live feed. I've got to figure that out. But um, my, I have, we're going to have a Monster Talk uh, group page of some sort. And uh, it, it'll be posted. Yeah, we do there. have a YouTube channel. We do. Um, um, so I guess we can connect it to that. We'll yeah. figure it out soon. So it's and been around a while. Hi, Jerry, too. Oh, hey, it's Jerry. So we'll yeah. some fans through. Oh, Jerry. Hey. So which, which story should we start with then? Because they're both really cool stories. They are. Can we start with Black Eyed Kids? Because that is short. And and I and I think you guys will like where it's going because this involved a lot of library research using the TV guide. Mm. So okay. <laughs> that might be a little. We already had order. someone say that, uh, that, that that's their favorite band, so I think they're confusing them with the Black Eyed Peas. But... The Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, I had that song stuck in my head when I was going through these notes today. One of the things I love is that this this thing blew up like crazy, like. Everything is Black Eyed Kids now. It's like Slender Man, you know, where it's yeah, it's gotten into everything, and they've made movies about it. But it actually started in Abilene, Texas, really when? early. When did it? The first posting about Black Eyed Kids was August twenty eighth, nineteen ninety seven, and it showed up on a um, a guy named. I, I made a few notes out of my old notebook, so if you see me looking over here, that's what I'm looking at. The guy's name who originated the Black Eyed Kids was a guy named Brian Bethel. And he wrote for the local paper. And most of the sources call him a newspaper reporter. Uh, maybe he actually wrote like spiritual, a spiritualist column for the local Abilene paper. And really? he spent a lot of, yeah, yeah. He didn't really do straight journalism. I think he eventually went on to do more straight journalism. I mean, he's still around. He gets interviewed about the Black Eyed Kids all the time. I mean, the most yeah. recent one was yeah. uh, uh, just a couple of years ago. But the original uh, posting uh, showed up on the old uh, Alt Ghost Stories uh, uh, listserv in '97, mm-hmm. and that's actually where I saw it back in the day. Now, I hung. I remember, all the but, time. but what's what's listserv, Jerry? I don't know what listserv. <laughs> I mean. So, yeah, true enough. We should probably do that. So, before the internet, uh, if you wanted to talk to your friends on a computer. You bought a Commodore 64, or if you were real fancy, an IBM PC, which cost about as much as, you know, a car and a college education today. Uh, And you bought a modem, and you told your mom not to call grandma for three hours, and you plugged the modem into this box, and you dialed a number, and you could call in, and you would post on the the internet, the, the, the bulletin board. Um, as in BBS bulletin board system, your question or your comment or your story, and then you would log out and wait three or four days and then log back in and uh, people would uh, people would answer you. So it was really kind of cool because you had to be a little sophisticated to use the machine. And then um, you couldn't really do the, the toxic internet thing because it took so gee damn long to get logged into it. So it was always very friendly. So when the early internet was born, those bulletin boards sort of got migrated into these listservs, which was a place where you could post something in this sort of large running forum. Yeah. Go ahead. I want to I want to comment that yeah. um it was interesting 
because things were posted in the historically threaded behavior. Like, yes. So you didn't have an algorithm moving people's posts around and telling you this is what you'll be most interested in. Yes. You could just mm-hmm. you could just read things in the order they were posted, and I swear it kind of made sense. And a bunch of librarians and the Yahoo search engine actually launched a project to try to index all those with with metadata. Yeah. And uh, when I was working, I had I had just got a uh, uh, I just got a job at the University of Texas at Dallas as the circulation librarian. It was my first job right out of undergraduate school. And uh, uh, one of the things I did all day while I was waiting for people to come up and check out books was do paranormal research on the, on the school's high speed internet. Like you and do, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> Because we had dial-up cable dial-up at home and work on Y2K, so that was sort of how I spent my whole day. And uh, I hung out a lot on the uh, on these ghost stories, out magic, all the good ones. And there was a subreddit or a subreddit, we call it that now. There was a subform there uh, for ghost stories of Texas. And the main ghost stories thread, this guy uh, had posted the black-eyed uh, kids um, story. I remember reading it. I, I know that is not a fiction, but I don't remember thinking about it until a, mm-hmm. uh, a few years later and going back to it. And I think a couple of other people have found that posting. I, I think it still shows up on the Internet. But that's where he told his original uh, Black Eyed Kid story. So mm-hmm. a flash forward a few years and all this stuff gets very popular. And I was like, you know, I remember that thing. I, I remember people talking about it. And I also had a vague memory in my head of sort of creatures with black eyes sort of being in the zeitgeist in the late nineties. And -hmm. I never could quite put my finger on it. And when I moved to Austin a few years later, just a couple of years later, it was actually in after Y2K uh, after we got all that stuff settled, Mm -hmm. I got a job as a historian. I was transitioning into what became my professional career and was doing archival and metadata work and all that stuff. Uh, Still very young. And I had to go out and do a speaking engagement in Abilene, which is where um, uh, this took place, which is where Brian was at. And I thought, you know what? I got nothing to do. Uh, Abilene is Bible Belt Baptist country, so the bars all close at 630. So I can go eat dinner at you know Olive Garden and drink some wine and then wander <laughs> around downtown Abilene, which is exactly what I did. And I found the spot. Uh, he claimed in the original story that he had to pay his uh, internet bill. Uh, yeah. And in those days, you know, you got internet from in every fly by night was an internet provider. And his internet provider was called Camelot Communications. I found the spot where it was. It's where AT&T is now in downtown Abilene, uh, next door to the Paramount Theater, which is a historic theater, which has got an interesting uh, backstory. And then he mm-hmm. said he pulled into the parking lot across the street. He was using the the marquee lights of the theater to write out his check for his internet service. And then he was going to go put it in the Dropbox. And he said the movie that was showing was uh, Mortal Kombat. Mm. Well, the Paramount theater was a dollar theater at that time. So Mortal Kombat came out in summer of 96. Uh, So he would have had to have seen this. This would have had to have happened in late fall, early um, summer of 97, late fall, 96, early summer of 97. So we kind of have a time frame for when this happened. Mm-hmm. And he said, a boy and a girl walked up. Everybody knows the famous story now. And they said, hey, mister, you know, uh, open your car. We need help. We want to go in and see the movie. Give us some money so we can go see the movie. He realized the movie, he said, would, had already been running an hour. 
Um, yada, yada, yada. He slams on the gas and he says he tore out of the, uh, the parking lot and left. Well, all those places are there and it's all, you know, a real spot that, uh, uh, that theater is famous because the Paramount and Abilene was one of maybe five or six theaters that got chosen in the United States to run Dracula, uh, a few, uh, a few days before it actually came out in 1933, they picked a hand, some star Wars did the same thing. They picked a handful of theaters, uh, where they ran the movie early. And one of the things I've always wanted to do is try to get into the back of that theater and dig around and see if some of the old movie posters are still there. And I actually tried on that trip, but I couldn't get anybody that would let me in. They're like, oh, there's no manager here. And I was like, ah, oh, you lying sexes. Of course there's a manager here. You just don't want me to come in there. Um, so I thought, yeah, okay, so this kind of checks out. So maybe he did see something. And then, you know, uh, I, I was sitting around not too long later, and I thought, you know, the internet got a little bit more sophisticated, and I started Googling things. And I realized, you know, what was on TV in 96, 97? Well, of course, it was the X-Files. And if you guys remember, there's a period uh, in the early seasons of the X-Files where Gillian uh, Anderson's character, Scully, gets pregnant in real life. So they film a season where she is largely off camera. They, they do a thread, spoiler alert, where she gets cancer from an alien infection called Purity or the Black Oil. Right. And, right. and there's a whole long year-long series of these where the symptom of the Black Oil, there's the, the villain is called Alex Krychek, and you know, it was a really dramatic year. It's one of the best years on. Yeah, we're, um, we're doing this relatively non-spoilery, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. But one of the symptoms of this is that your eyes turn totally black, yeah. right? Oh. And you walked around, uh, you know, possessed, acting like a weirdo. So spoilers are over. And I thought, well, I wonder how that fits into the timeline of the Black Eyed Kids. So mm-hmm. I did some more research, and I, I this research is not unique to me. I know that a couple of others have since put this timeline together, but not the X-Files thing. I think that is unique to what I've come up with. But I went back and looked at some of those through the, the Yahoo project and looked at some of those archived posts from those days. And uh, on in July, on July 30th of 97, Brian gets online and posts about thought form creations. And he speculates. Well, which we, yeah, which we've talked this briefly. We've talked about that yeah. a little bit before um, in pop culture. Well, I shouldn't say pop culture in paranormal pop culture for the really since the theosophists, they're the ones who really sort of stole yeah. this. Um, they call this a tulpa. tulpa. And we've had on um, uh, Natasha Mickles and Joe Laycock to talk about this and Correct. how that that's an idea from Buddhism that has a very specific Buddhist meaning, but that the theosophists have repurposed it to become a generic. If enough people believe it, or if one person believes it enough, it becomes corporeal and real, you know? Yeah. One of Helena Blavatsky's students, not Helena herself. Right. Mistranslated chulpa into meaning uh, what we think of as a thought form. Brian did not use that phrase. I don't think it had come into the overarching pop culture in the late 90s. And he's referring to Bloody Mary. His post on Outmagic, M-A-G-I-C-K, for the Crowleyouts out there, uh, was about (laughs) summoning Bloody Mary. (laughs) It's not sexy if it doesn't have a K. Uh, Was about (laughs) summoning Bloody Mary as a thought form. And he speculates, well, maybe if we create a mythology um, around some kind of a creature and enough people believe in it, uh, we can bring it into existence. 
So uh, about a month later, he posts the uh, Black Eyed Kids story on um, Out Ghost Stories. Well, I thought, ah, I wonder, wonder if he was an X-Files fan. I wonder what was going on on the X-Files during that week, you know, having remembered that, that, uh, that, uh, that story arc. So sure enough, that was the year of the, of the, the black oil story arc and X-Files in those days, you know, they, they had a season before summer and a season after summer and the season went on hiatus in uh, May it came back in November, but it ran every Sunday at nine. They ran repeats. And sure enough, if you go back to your handy archive TV guide, you discover that the Sunday before um, he made his post was an episode of the X-Files. I've got it written down here in the notes called um, Terma Part Two. And the two Terma stories dealt with these black eyed creatures running around as zombies uh, freaking people out. So, you know, you're laying around, you know, in Abilene, Texas, even with cable in 1997, you still only had a couple channels and the X-Files was a show everybody watched and mm-hmm. you kind of put two and two together and figure that Mr. Paranormal, you know, was probably, you know, watching that on the couch and maybe he had a nightmare or something. And so sort of the, like- you're saying that the Black Eyed Kids came after the X-Files showed Black Eyed People. Four days later. <laughs> really? Yes, four days later. So that basically makes them another scripted. That's what I think. A scripted. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yeah. Uh, I think they're just like that chupacabra. It's something that got into somebody's wow. head. And when you factor in some of Brian's earlier posts where he's talking about maybe we can create a thought form if enough people believe in it, you know, mm-hmm. that's that those three pieces of evidence seem pretty convincing to me that, you know, he saw something in the pop culture that was scary. And those episodes were mm-hmm. scary. Like that was early sort of attempts to make that sort of special effect. I could not find any other references to sort of black eyed stuff prior to the X-Files. Um, right. I looked into this pretty heavy. It was typically whites of the eyes. Um, there was a hammer film where Telly Savala shows up and his eyes are all whited out. You know, you remember that one? <laughs> Scared the ter- shit ter- out of Terror train, right? Terror train, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there's Mausoleum where the, the dead guy's eyes are all whited out. But Black Eyes seems mm-hmm. to be pretty unique to the X-Files. And they spent a whole year doing that thing. So, yeah. We had a question earlier on, maybe about 10 minutes ago, with someone asking if you think there's any connection between indigo children and black-eyed children. Because oh, I think I'm, indigo children, didn't they come out in the 80s? That was kind of 80s thing. Oh, I'm an indigo child. I, I was born in, <laughs> in 1974 during the Philip K. Dick 2-3. Uh, uh, yeah, I was born right right the day that happened. Uh, I have a high IQ and I've got uh, B-negative blood. So I'm an indigo child. <laughs> there you go with, with black eyes. And I, I don't have black eyes. I have hazel colored eyes in my hair. So I, I do not think the black eyed kids are connected to indigo children. I've not seen that in a mythology. Um, okay. I've been researching black eyed kids for a long time because I'm kind of documenting the explosion of the folklore. I love, love, love um, uh, folklore where you can really date it to the start. I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm so fascinated with Mormonism because mm-hmm. we have such a rich history of the birth of a, of a modern religion and, you know, both, uh, you know, Black Eyed Kids and Aurora a little bit were kind of at the start of the the, the birth of a mythology. And we talked a lot about that um, 
in our in our episodes related to uh, the Darrows and Taros and all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Black Eyed Kids is so great because it's it's sort of the first internet born modern mythology, and now it's it's literally everywhere. If you see how many Google searches come up whenever you put in Black Eyed Kids, first but not the only. I mean, we've the Slender Man, uh, the the Hat Man. I think there's going to be a lot of these. I mean, um, you know, in a sense, when something's born mimetically, it never dies. Like it right. never dies. So, well, I didn't know that this went back to the '90s because just looking this up on YouTube, there are a lot of contemporary stories. Oh just yeah, last couple of years, and uh, a lot of people who've uh, just done interviews on the topic have said, "Oh, this is something that's." Um, just come up a couple of years ago and it's just really popular and really common now. So I didn't know it went back that far um, because it's just seems like there must be a resurgence then, I guess, just periods of it being popular and then going away and coming back. I, I, I really think that's it is that um, black eyed kids was sluggish in the beginning. And um, I really sort of date the, the blow up of it to creepypasta when creepypasta started to show up on the web. This is probably arguably the first incident of creepy pasta that took off and sort of melded into reality. And he's, Brian has been off and on about whether or not the story is real or, uh, or not. Um, somebody in the comments brought up flannel man. Flannel man is a, a character that a friend of mine, uh, Tim Renner over at strange familiars podcast has been documenting. And he's basically a backwoods version of the hat man. Uh, shows up in people okay. dressed like the brawny man. Um, and uh, it, there's a lot of uh, really interesting folklore around this guy. A couple of people have dated sightings of dudes wearing flannel um, back a few years. Uh, so I don't think that phenomenon was invented. I just think it's a way people. <laughs> so what flannel? I don't know flannel man. Flannel I mean, shirt. I mean, I've, I've been flannel man, but I don't really know. <laughs> I, yeah, a lot of people I've known. Is an East Coast backwards version of the Hat Man. He's a guy that shows up when you are about to fall asleep, except instead of being dressed like you know uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's dressed like the Brawny Man. So you know, really, yeah. That's weirdly like like a flannel flannelette. Yeah, like, like it's like wearing the red flannel. It's like you know, yeah. yeah that that's absolutely. That's like a that's not terrorizing it. unless I'm a tree. I don't. You know, like, oh shit, he's gonna chop me down. Well, the, the unique thing about Flannel Man is that he's not he's not scary. He's surprised when you see him. Like a lot of people see him in their house, and he's like, "Whoa, what are you doing here?" And uh, he, then you find out it's your husband. Yeah, <laughs> he, I didn't even know I was married to a dude, but here we are. Yeah, <laughs> like it's what you're dreaming of. No, um, he fits into a piece, uh, uh some German mythology. Uh, I'm just uh, saying, hey, if I had to be gay, the brawny man is not the a bad man is choice. Strong, <laughs> a strong damn daddy, I'll tell you that. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's a cobol. There's there's these creatures that show up in German. Not mythology. the programming language, because if he is no, that, he needs to be no, hired right now. A, by he's the got a six-figure job waiting on him in Jersey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we're talking uh, about the German cave spirit, right? <laughs> yeah, and they're sort of miners that that look like uh, not uh, young people, but people who dig. Right, All right, got it. I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of our users is, is one of our, who uh, sent me a bunch of research on them. And I find it fascinating because he's he's a real piece of mythology that uh, Tim has just discovered. You know that it was 
it was never something that it got into any of the books and it's kind of unique to his folklore work is that you know people in the united states see this guy in flannel See, you, you know, know, every every post yeah. of these questions or comments down here, they say Facebook user, Facebook user. But I see yeah. Billy Zane, and I know my wife's watching this show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but I think we can have some copycats now because I'm reading about Cardigan Man as well. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Man. Like, Taffeta Man. Cashmere <laughs> <Hush> Man. <laughs> well, I was like, uh, yeah, Ed, Ed Wood, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> I... I I, I think I've mentioned this before in the show. I suffer from sleep paralysis pretty, pretty badly. And I think mm. it's one of the things that got me interested in the paranormal. Cause when I was a kid, like I didn't you. know, like yeah, I, I didn't know what I was experiencing and you know, I had, I have it pretty bad and I've seen this stuff, you know, where I'm just about to fall asleep. Have any of yours been like succubus style? I've never, I feel like those people are lucky. Like, you know, it was like, it was like, like <laughs> no, no, what I always see is the same friggin' thing is it's, I'm, I'm, I'm waking up from sleep and I can't move. And I always have the same feeling as I think I've died. You know, I've, I've had a hundred of these things and I always think, well, I, I'm dead now. And this is the last couple of minutes before I expire. And I will see just a black form in the room. And yeah. it sort of has the vague look of sort of the witch with the hat on. Sort of like, okay. yeah, and it's always sort of the same. And then as I start to become more alert and come out of it, it literally disappears. It, it fades away and disappears. Um, but maybe every sixth sleep paralysis incident I have, I'll see something weird like that. And I never get used to it. And it's always terrifying. So, yeah. And when I was a kid, you know, my mom was like, oh, that's a demon. And I'm like, thanks, mom. Uh, <laughs> my mom was like that, too. That's an alien, Karen. <laughs> you know, so it did. E.T. <laughs> is real. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's the story of the Black Eyed Kids. Well, was, I was- love that story. And just just briefly, there are so many fun stories on YouTube. A lot of uh, sightings and personal experiences that people have. Did we lose Blake there? There you no, go. I was I was cleaning my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could pause it to do that. Yeah. But I'm just wondering if uh, you you know of anyone or have uh, spoken with anyone who's had a personal experience because it seems like there are a lot of stories that are out there and, and they're all just such fun stories. I have never spoken to anyone who has had a personal black-eyed kid experience, but I have spoken to many people who have spoken to someone who has had oh, a kid. friend of a friend. Well, friend but, a friend. but I mean, there's active stories coming out now. I mean, oh, that, the, oh, yeah, people, yeah. oh yeah. Well, which is I, fascinating because if we know the inception date of this creature, and we know that it infected, sort of, I'm going to call it the mean pool, um, and has grown. Uh, and mutated we, we we have people who seem to be and I, I mean maybe not all of them but some of them seem to be reporting sincere experiences and i i just wonder how that works i am fascinated because i don't think these are real creatures but i think it's people are reporting real experiences that seem to be shaped by these stories like mm-hmm. it seems to be influencing the things that they're experiencing there are some people too who claim uh, who link their experiences to sicknesses. Oh, and and after I had this visit from these black-eyed kids, then I developed cancer or, yeah. or something bad happened. I got sick in in some way. So, um, not you guys, but I have observed a couple of phenomena amongst rational people who who are open. What I would call legitimately open-minded, and one is 
they have a hard time telling the difference between things they have dreamed and remember and things that they have experienced and remember. And I, I have known people who talk about their dreams as if they were physical, uh, active memories. And mm-hmm. then people also create memories. You know, yeah. we, uh, Joe Nickel has observed that where people will tell a story in 1968. And then when they're telling it in 1998, it's completely different. You know, memory. Right. Um, memory uh, mutates. That's real. Right. Yeah. Because you don't, we now know the way the memory works is you don't remember the original incident. You remember the last time you remember it. Yeah. So you're sort of rewriting your hard disk every single time. So I think very honest people um, create memories and create thoughts. Yeah, um, this is memory. Exactly. Yeah, it's It's, it's got to be refreshed. And when you recall it, even if you don't say it out loud, you're changing the memory. And we, Karen and I talked about this. I, I was remembering a, a very powerful paranormal experience that I had. It turned out to be not paranormal, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But when I was telling her the story, I realized I had written it down uh, in 2007. And so I went back to verify my facts and I realized they've changed. I mean, the, the, the gist of the story is the same, but a whole bunch of things had changed. And that, so I, I, I trued it up to the write down from 2007, but the incidents happened more than a decade before that. So I don't know how much has changed, you know, That's I know I talked it's, it's tough. And it's like, you know, th- this is the, it turns out that writing is a really important invention. Uh, mm-hmm. If you, if you want to have some kind of verifiable, you know, record, you need to write right. things down when they happen and then go back and mm-hmm. check them later because it's uh, our memories are liquid, man. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So. And that's why somebody pointed out that's why eyewitness testimony is so bad. And it really, yeah. you know, the story of the dead panda where the panda got out, it was actually killed like five minutes after it got out of the zoo. <laughs> that, was so Gary, out. that's a great story, but you like, let me tell you the story about how like, uh, um, 
like I, oh man, I'm t- this is this is, this is flopping horribly. But I mean, you basically started with the spoiler, so you know, it's like <laughs> that story's best told as Panda escapes from zoo. People reported all over the city. Later, found to have died oh. almost immediately after leaving oh, zoo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, there's something. There's an incident from our life that's not paranormal at all. Where yeah. where I got something spilled on me, uh, and I swear it happened one way. Like I see it vividly in my mind happening this way where a pizza got dumped on me. I'm not going to go into the details because I don't know what the story is. And I remember it happening this way. And my wife swears it did not happen that way, that it happened a complete. And she has just a vivid is vivid. A memory of this happening a completely different way than I do. And neither one of us know I, I, what actually happened because we didn't recall it very much at the time and then you know i tried to tell that story later and she's like that is not the way that happened yeah so, <laughs> but and i it, see it, it in my mind happening that way it's frustrating <laughs> because like it the human nature is to to double down like no no yeah. i'm certain no, no, you know right. yeah, yeah and, and and this has been so frustrating for me as the more i learn about memory is you know and you know skeptical research around it and I just I don't trust my own memory. I don't trust other people's memories, and people take it very personally if you don't just accept what they say. And it's like I don't mean anything by it. I'm skeptical of all of it, including me. You know, so. Well, I think a lot of black eyed kids sightings now are kids buying those thirty nine ninety nine contacts and just freaking people out. I mean, I did maybe maybe I used to to fake Bigfoot photo uh, feet and all kinds of stuff. Like I was a terrible hoaxer when I was a kid. So I would totally be down for that today. I mean, I freely admit it. Um, Speaking of not being able to trust things, I know you guys want to keep it to an hour. That's a great segue for Aurora because one thing you as hell can't trust is historic newspaper accounts. What? Um, (laughs) Can't trust them. Uh, you know, in the eighteen, can we trust people- new, new newspapers? That's no, can't yeah. trust them. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on the source. <laughs> yeah, before we even start the story, I would say it's important to remember, and that's what we tried to talk about in our our recent episode on on newspaper stories. Mm-hmm. You, you need to bring to the paper or anything your own critical thinking skills. You know, mm-hmm. who benefits. You know who? Where are the sources? All this stuff matters, but age of the source. <laughs> but man, the 19th century was a different time. So people people think that people in the past are just like less smart versions of us, and it is not true. I mean, mm-hmm. before the scientific revolution, and I know I always talk about Karl Popper on the show, but before Popper and before sort of thinking about objective information like people lived in a world where folklore and and lore and tall tales were a part of the reality right so you'd pick up the newspaper and there would be these very boring stories about the price of cattle and you know what president taft said and things like that and then right next to it there would be a ghost story or some <laughs> bullshit that mark yeah. twain had made Screaming up skull. You know? <laughs> Screaming skull. and they would report it as straight news and in those days mm-hmm. people either knew it was crap or they didn't, and nobody cared. Like there was no public consciousness about what the media reported. All all newspapers were considered entertainment in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, after they stopped just reporting what was going on in the Senate and in Parliament, they became sort of uh, entertainment venues. And whenever I used to teach college, and I would tell people to, you know, you would need to look at some newspaper sources. I was like, man, it you 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 need to see this is a starting point, not as an end point, because most of what you read in these old newspapers, unless it's just numbers and 
you know, quotes is probably something that somebody cooked up. Mm-hmm. And in the late, something weird happened in the late 19th century where the whole planet got obsessed with uh, dirigibles, uh, what we call Zeppelins or, you know, blimps now. In, in the middle 1850s, a French guy invented the first pilotable dirigible, which was a hydrogen gas filled um, vapor barrier what they call a vapor barrier now or a balloon that had a, a motor on the bottom, a steam powered motor. And it could, it could fly through the air and change directions just like a ship sailing through the air. And by the 1890s, this was the next big thing. Like this, you know, was a new technology that everybody was talking about, you know, it's the next, um, it's the thing, you know, yeah. is coming, you You're know, it's coming. Right. Yeah. And von Zeppelin in 1890 had capitalized the company, at a hundred thousand Deutschmarks to build a, a pilotable dirigible and in uh um, how much I'll is that in real money? Don't real money in modern a hundred thousand Deutschmarks in modern money was probably close to half a billion dollars. Like that's some serious cash back in those days. You know, and uh, a great a great book came out in 1886 if you've never read it. It's called Robert Le Conquerant, uh, Robert the Conqueror. And it's about a dude. Uh, they made a great movie out of it uh, in the fifties with Vincent Price and a very young Charles okay. Bronson. Uh, and man, oh, it is a great um, movie. It's called Master the, of the World. Master of the World. I know this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah He's yeah. got a dirigible, oh, is that right? Jules Verne. Is that Jules Verne? It, yeah. It was. It was based on this novel by Jules Verne. Yeah. And yeah. it's about this guy Robert who's going to pacify the world. He's sort of Captain Nemo of the air. Is essentially yeah. what it is. Yeah. So this is a bestseller. It's all in the zeitgeist and everything. And, you know, you've got all these people racing to build these dirigibles and there. So the world gets balloon crazy. This is one of those things we've just completely forgotten about. And so people start to see them. Uh, They start to see uh, experimental dirigibles over the English Channel. And for some reason, people really start to see them in the Midwest and in Texas. And Texas becomes the hot spot for these dirigible sightings. And, and in the late 1890s, this was called the Great Airship Flap. Uh, there's a good book about it by Daniel Cohen called The Great Airship Flap. And if you can find it, it is just super fascinating. But go to any newspaper in the 1890s. You don't have to even scroll a couple of pages before you find a story about the airship. So um, one of the things that emerges as a part of the Great Airship Flap is a news story out of Aurora, Texas, uh, that got reported in um, 18 uh, on, uh, I'll have to look at my notes, April 19th, 1897. So we're pretty close to the anniversary. It'd be a, a hundred and if my math is right, 11 years uh, this week um, about oh, yeah. the airship, about the airship crashing and hitting a windmill uh, in a guy named judge J.S. Proctor's uh, property. And uh, on board the airship was a quote unquote Martian. And they took the Martian and they they gave him a Christian burial in the local Aurora Cemetery. And they took all the bits and pieces of the airship that hadn't been picked up by souvenir hunters and threw them down Judge Proctor's well. I guess at that time a well was not valuable, so they poisoned it with these airship pieces. And uh, and, uh, the author of that story uh, sent it over to the Dallas Morning News out on the wire, and it got published on uh, April... Uh, 19th, 1897. And this is one of those things that what MUFON, I think, calls it incident zero. Uh, It's also been called the Texas Roswell. And it is 
popularly documented as the first incident of an extraterrestrial uh, spacecraft crashing um, uh, into Earth and uh, and people having an encounter with the creature. And it almost uh, completely uh, parallels um, the Roswell incident of a few years later. And one of the things I think is so interesting, and God, I wish I wish this were true, the guy who covered up, who came up with the UFO stuff from Roswell was a dude from Texas. So I kind of wonder, oh God, was he, did he have that? Did he remember that from his childhood? It would be so cool if he did, you know? But yeah, um, this is, I guess, area zero or whatever. And uh, people forgot about it. They had a good laugh. Uh, it was one of hundreds of uh, airship stories that uh, that were published um, Aurora at that time was a dying community. The railroad had yeah. passed it by. Today, it is a kind of a tidy suburb of uh, of Fort Worth. Uh, when, it's, worth, when Vicky, it's, worth it's worth mentioning that even though we think about this as being well, this is in the before the turn of the century. This is you know the the eighteen hundreds, but they had um, the national uh, telegraph system. It was oh, possible yes. for things to go viral back then, which is, you oh, know, yeah. they, they didn't call it going viral, but that's really important. So. Um, uh, flash forward to the murder mystery. I'm actually working on a murder mystery right now that's been unsolved for a hundred years this year. And I've actually solved the damn thing and have the documentary evidence to prove it. Teaser, teaser. <laughs> and uh, my, publish, my publisher is yelling at me probably through this Facebook thing to be writing that book tonight instead of talking to you guys. But um that story went worldwide for six months. It got picked up in Germany, Australia, in, and it had to be going out over packet mail and telegraph because, you know, a pretty white girl gets murdered and um, the murder is unsolved. It's always been popular news. And I mean, you know, it happened in early July. It was showing up in August in Sydney. So, you know, this things went viral you know, in those days. And because of the telegraph service, uh, telegraphers like to pull people's legs. And a lot of early stories. Uh, it's were right there in the word. By, telegrapher. Yeah. yeah. Telegrapher. <laughs> um, they would make extra money by, by, by making up bullshit <laughs> and sending it into the papers. And that's well documented. I mean, Thomas Edison did that. He was a telegrapher whenever he was a kid. And, you know, uh, he used his skills to get ahead of other inventors by listening in on their, on their telegraph messages. So that's shocking. You know, that's <laughs> shocking that Edison <laughs> would, would do something that, that in that, that controversial yet. So successful. And with electricity, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay. So what's, what's fun about this story is, it, uh, it it comes out, everybody's like, oh, how could he possibly know about, you know, men from Mars and all that stuff? Well, I mean, somebody wrote a book that same year and was publishing it in a serialized format uh, in Cosmopolitan magazine called War of the Worlds <laughs> by H.D. Wells. The very year that uh, that this story comes out, Wells is it was right there next the to Worlds. 23 Victorian sex secrets that he doesn't want sex, you to know. That he doesn't, that he doesn't want you to know about. And all of them involve the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is funny to me how Cosmos changed. So it, it was literally it actually has. Yeah, it's changed a lot. So, yeah. So. Um, the Police Gazette has not changed. That thing is still around. If you pick that up, it's still just as lurid as it ever was. But so, I mean, th this is obviously a gag, right? Like I went back and did the research. Other people have done this stuff. But 
the a guy named uh, Weems, and the reason why I was interested in this is because I went to school with a guy named Mark Weems, and we thought he might have been related to this dude because he was mm. from Fort Worth. Um, the guy named T.J. Weems was supposedly the local Signal Corps officer who identified the body as being from Mars. Now, the U.S. Signal Corps in those oh, days... We're back on the a, Aurora story now. Aurora, yeah. Yeah, right, not, right. yeah. He's the guy that said that this body was from Mars and identified it as a UFO because he was a Signal Corps officer and an expert in astronomy. Whenever I researched Mr. Weems, he was a Confederate uh, a bull farrier <laughs> or a donkey farrier <laughs> and the local blacksmith. <laughs> He was wow. not an expert in astronomy, and he had been a member of the Confederate Army, so he sure as hell was not in the U.S. Signal Corps. And he died in the early uh, 1900s, so they were probably dunking on the local un- unreconstructed Confederate by putting him in the U.S. Army. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, funny. So, so, so farriers, uh, for, for listeners who don't know, these are blacksmiths, or they make shoes for horses, hooved animals, right? Yeah, yeah, and this guy for the Confederates made jackass hooves <laughs> or jackass shoes <laughs> so the joke, like the joke just keeps running right and the, the guy who wrote the story se hayden was a local cut up and you can go back now and go into the library uh, of congress now that we have keyword searchability and find all the crazy stories he wrote like he constantly pulled people's leg and wrote uh, uh goofy poems and funny limericks and stuff like that so it was clearly a gag mm-hmm. But by 1960, people forgot, I guess people didn't have a sense of humor in the 60s because this thing got dug up hard and heavy and it it built careers and ruined lives. MUFON got involved in it, a guy named Bill Case, who was the local uh, uh, aviation writer and the MUFON field captain for uh, the Dallas area. Uh, he wrote for the Dallas uh, Times Herald, which was sort of the liberal paper in Texas. This is the one my parents took. Uh, and he covered this thing uh, heavily in the late 70s and early 80s. And he died in the middle of all this, right? So that immediately created a ton of of, uh, of suspicion. Uh, they claimed that they found a headstone um, at the site uh, that disappeared. Um, they stuck some metal rods down into the ground. The local police came and arrested everybody, and it became very controversial. And the community at that time in the early 80s was a retirement community, an old farming community, very religious, very superstitious, and they didn't want anything to do with this stuff. So they shut it all down. Um, I first heard about it right about that time. I would have been about 10, 11 years old. Uh, And every year, probably to the present day, around Halloween in Dallas, they run a story about it. They put the spooky music on. Did an alien crash at, you know, Aurora, Texas. And Uh when I got my first, uh, whenever I got into college and got my first paycheck, um, the first two cases I wanted to investigate was the crash at Aurora and the murders up in Texarkana. So we can maybe talk about Texarkana later because that's a cool case, the killings there. But Vicky and I headed out. We went to Aurora and we did the one thing every investigator needs to do when they re- research a case. We took a lot of pictures. Uh, yep. I had an old 110 camera, just like Carl Kolchak. I had that very same <laughs> Carl Kolchak camera. Okay. The that's, one that you could that's... slide and snap. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I took tons of pictures and uh, mm-hmm. threw them in a box. And we did all this research. And we, we met with Mrs. Brennan, who had been the mayor there. And she had done some research on it. 
We did the old reel-to-reel archives. We found the exact spot where the uh, where Judge Proctor had his windmill that supposedly crashed, and I want to say something about that in a minute. Um, using um, Bill Case's notes in the paper and his maps and the old land grant maps uh, from the area, and we basically called it a day. Then in 2005, the History Channel runs a uh, a special on it, and we're like, "Oh, this will be fun." You know, this will be old home week. We'll put this on. You know, we were living in, in Texas at the time we put it on. And they showed a gravestone for the spaceman that we did not see <laughs> in 1993. And, you know, we went through our stuff and we dug out our pictures. And it's like, you know, lying sons of bitches. There was no gravestone there. We have pictures of this exact spot. So it was like, ah, so this is just this is just MUFON being MUFON, right? So we, we put it all in the drawer. Then 2008, the sequel show to UFO Files. Let me get the name for you because this one's still this one's still online. UFO Hunters comes out, and they say, "Aha! We found Jug- Judge Proctor's well, <laughs> and right. we're gonna yes. we're gonna dig it up." Yeah, yeah, so, yep. I saw that. So Vic and I get on the thing, and we're like, "There was no well there. We found the exact spot that they investigated in the 60s and 70s that the old timers remembered being the spot, and there was mm-hmm. it was an empty field. There wasn't a damn thing there." So they show this well house backed up against this property that's clearly built in the fifties. And they, they take, they take the well house off and they find a slab with a 1947 date on it. And then below it is a a straight up bucket well, um, which is clearly fairly modern. Like I figure the well was built in the forties. The well house was built in the fifties. That, that was not the kind of well anybody from Texas would know this. That you put a windmill on. A windmill does not go on a well that has a big ass hole in the ground that you would put a bucket down in. A windmill has to go, you drill up a, a hole straight down. My pipe dad hole, did this right. for years. You drill a pipe hole, you drop a pipe in there, and that, yeah. that creates that pre- that allows for negative pressure and suction. <laughs> I mean, I had a windmill on the property I grew up on, for God's sake. So so this is like a this is like a sump well or a septic tank. It's, it's not a even strange a real well. Joke. You're talking about UFO yeah. Hunter. That's from yeah. Bill Burns. So Bill yeah. Burns did UFO Magazine, and uh, I think he yeah. must be like 75 now. But, um, yeah, Bill has a lot of fringe ideas, I would say. And I watched that series. I really thought seriously. It came out around the same time as Paranormal Activity or, or excuse me, uh, Paranormal State. And I, I kept thinking maybe I should do like an episode by episode takedown, like Jason Comito <laughs> does. And it's like, yeah. man, they throw nah. out so much wacky stuff. And I knew mm-hmm. I just sort of gave up because early on they did an episode and they talked about dowsing. And yeah. their skeptic uh, was like pulling out dowsing rods and, and doing dowsing. And I'm like, okay. If yeah. that's the skeptic, skeptic yeah. probably done, right? Yeah. Well, because well, uh, looking this story yeah. up on on YouTube, um, it seems like the cemetery is a place for legend trippers now. A lot of people. It, it is there. now. So, so here's the part of the story I want to tell. So that that spot that is in that show, I can't even verify was actually on Proctor's property. Like somebody yeah. probably said it was, but again, we found the exact spot in 1993. And there was nothing there. You could see where there had been a house. You know, they didn't build concrete foundations in that part of Texas in those days. They were all stick built places. We could we could see that, you know, but it wasn't there. There was, and then other people at the time, uh, Ms. Brennan confirmed that there was never that Proctor never had a windmill. That wasn't the kind of work he did. 
he mm-hmm. uh, he was he was the local justice of the peace, and he was a buyer. He wasn't a, a cattleman. So why would you invest, you know, a year's income in drilling a well or digging a well uh, for cattle when you didn't really need one? So mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. But that that episode is com- a complete uh, case study in the evolution of this legend. Um, and the Wikipedia mm-hmm. entry is too. Like that Wikipedia entry changes all the time. I wrote some of the early version of it. Uh, when Wikipedia first showed up and it was pretty good in the old days, but now people go in and they change it and they try to make it, make it more uh, hoaxy uh, and more fantastical than it ever was. And they've taken everything out about Bill Case and his investigation in the seventies and eighties, all that yeah. controversy used to be up there and it's all gone now. And it yeah. focuses around mm-hmm. UFO hunting. It's really, I find it really fascinating that that relationship between the original story and then the resurgence around the rise of UFO culture. I mean, there was a, a period of time in the UFO world where people were going back and trying to find historical cases. And yeah. the airship mystery was just such a great sort of field of fruit or whatever you want to call it, yeah. where they could like go out and harvest yeah, all kinds anything. of stories. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's mean- just, it, there's a lot of there's shenanigans. I'm going to call it shenanigans. On a lot of yeah. stuff that happened around the yeah. 70s and 80s around the UFO stuff of looking but, back. Yeah, also to appear to give history to a lot of yeah, these stories. Yeah. Too. Oh, they go yeah. back so far. Of course they're real. There is some evidence now that, that's coming out that there was that there may have been an airship club out in California. I don't know if you've heard about that, but there, there was an incorporated airship club out there. Zeppelin himself at this time was working on his designs. So there is a possibility. Yeah, that I heard those places around the world. Plated. Yeah, they are certainly. Well, if I can, if I can sell one, it'll be a good year. Uh, if this idea is going to land like a Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so people probably did see some Zeppelins at a couple of places because it was extant technology, and and Zeppelin would have been flying his around Germany. And if there were some ballooning clubs, people would have seen them. But it's I mean, this is just a, it's an airship. <laughs> it's an airship. <laughs> but I think that uh, this is a really interesting point in general with you talking about uh, TV shows making up a lot of history yeah. and suddenly coming up with evidence that didn't exist previously. Um, I, I think that Blake and I have seen that a lot over the years with a, a lot of different oh, yeah. TV shows. We have indeed. It's worth repeating because you never know who's only going to see one episode of the show, Karen. You want to tell a story? Oh, which one? <laughs> well, I was thinking about fact or fake. That's the one that always comes to mind. So, well, it's, it's faked. <laughs> I think we spoke. We're, we're, we're shrieking the name. <laughs> but yeah, they um, they got in contact with my uh, husband and a former group of um, uh, investigators that he was working with, and uh, he had put a a fake video onto YouTube. Of it was really a promotional video for a TV show that he was working on at the time and it featured a, a Ouija board and uh, so anyway they got in contact with him and his cronies and, and they said we'd love to use this in fact or fake to, as a, an example for our team and uh, so anyway um, they said yep we were, we're interested in this and so they offered them $1,500 I think and then said, but can you can you reshoot it and make it a little bit more convincing? <laughs> so instead of taking it for what it is and giving it to their team to see if it's something that could have possibly been real, if so, what was it or was it faked, uh, they were wanting them to, to actually refilm it and 
uh, to, to, I guess, right. play it up really and, and make it seem more convincing, yeah, uh, I- to, to make it more interesting for, for viewers and, and to, to also dupe the team too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Yeah. I, I would the whole concept of being on a history channel show right now is so dubious. I, everything in TV in general. I mean, even if it's covering a fringe topic, just treat it as entertainment because mm-hmm. the chances mm-hmm. that it's actually sincere scientific investigation is basically zero, basically mm-hmm. zero. You know, it's funny in, 2006, I was a historical advisor, an off-camera advisor to the History Channel's program on the Alamo. It was okay. a good, it was a good wait, show. Wait, was, what's the Alamo? I don't remember that. <laughs> remember uh, it. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> might know it. It, it. it has a basement full of stolen bicycles. Bicycles! <laughs> yes! Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, um, I love San Antonio, and the Alamo is... I know, love it, too. I love the group. One, I, I will toot my own home. One of the last thing I did before I left Texas is I was the leader of the project that stole back the Alamo from the daughters of the, the Republic of Texas and got it back for the state. Um, I... I, I I will outright say that the way the daughters ran that thing was blatantly racist and, and okay. extremely controversial and not in the public's interest. And Do you know uh, about this? My boss I don't, I don't know about this, but I will, I will tell you yeah. what I'm going to throw out on the side. I, I recently did a contract. Uh, not This is like I'm an assassin. I did a contract job. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did a bunch of IT work in, in, in San Antonio. And uh, I had not been there since I was in the, uh, in the Navy. When That's where I did my mm-hmm. security force oh, yeah. training, 9445 on the Air Force Base there in Lackland. And, mm-hmm. um, I was just at Lackland, yeah. Yeah, God, it's a beautiful base. Uh, but I love San Antonio. And so while I was there, I went uh, to all these different places and had Texas chili, which Texas chili, mm-hmm. no beans. It's just spicy stewed meat. It's fantastic. So yeah. I go back now and – I couldn't find chili anywhere. Like the no, whole culture no. changed. It was great. I asked the concierge at the hotel, where did all the chili go? He said, oh, you want to go to a Chili's? I'm like, no. no, 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 no this blew my mind, man. I was just, I, I don't want to get off topic, but I'm going to talk real fast. Like no, I got to visit. Stuff, Jerry. This is important I got, stuff. I got to visit the Alamo that I helped build. I, I, I had not been back in 10 years and I, I got VIP treatment when I was down there for AWP, which is the association of writing professionals. And I got to hang out, you know, a little bit, you know, I, we, we walked by there, some stuff like that, you know, and uh, one of the things that was interesting about San Antonio, all the good Mexican food is gone. Like San Antonio is like gentrified. Like it used to be the best place in the world to get Mex. There was a, there used to be a French restaurant on the Riverwalk. Now it's all just like the crappiest, most banal. Like it's just, it's gone. Well, I mean, the reason why we left Austin is because it turned into LA. And if you like LA, I'm sorry, but I didn't want to live in it. And Austin turned into that. You know, but one of the project was, is we grabbed the Alamo back from the daughters and made it representative of, uh, of, uh, of real Texas history. And it was very exciting and it was a great project. And in 2006, we were working on that, you know, the anniversary uh, was coming up and, you know, we put together a blue book for the producers of the show of sort of objective um, history, you know, and there's very few, true real documents about the Alamo. The reason why I got picked for the job is the archive that I was head of at the time uh, had most 90% of those documents. So 
they came in, the producers and directors came in and said, this is the story we want to tell. We spent a year telling them that story was complete bullshit. They told that story anyway. <laughs> is all they did was use our PhDs and our in our blue book as the as the sort of professional on camera gravitas to tell the bull crap <laughs> that they that they could have told without us. We were just there to lend diplomas to their stupid freaking story. And after that, I said I'd never work with these kind of chuckleheads again. Yeah. We've had experiences like that too with TV, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And this wasn't even paranormal stuff. Like there was no reason, like the real story is just as interesting as the goofy, you know, story they wanted to yeah. tell, which was mostly about how Davy Crockett wasn't really killed and all this well, stuff. One of our listeners, unfortunately, everybody just says Facebook listeners, so I can't see who talked about the fact that San Antonio is really kind of like the birthplace of Chile. And there were the, the Chile women of San Antonio is a really important historical yeah. fact. Uh, these women were like making Chile famous. And I just, it was heartbreaking to me to see this happen. Like that this important cultural history was just gone. Gone. Yeah. And so. it's really weird. Like it's the Mexican market doesn't have local stuff anymore. It's all yeah. sort of stuff from Mexico. It's, but I mean, that's gentrification for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I have a lot of. I've been there for about eight years, but last time I was there, they had lots of great vegetarian restaurants. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the joke, right? I, mean, I still, vegetarian, by the way, I still so. love San Antonio. It's great. Yeah, but, I still like it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But my favorite it. restaurant there is we found like a hippie coffee place that had the great food. And then, of course, Torchy's Tacos is awesome. Was that was a food place? Tacos yeah. is awesome. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. That was a food truck down by the lake when we lived in Austin or by the river. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, I mean, <laughs> we went for a drive down that, that area too because that's where uh, you've got the San Antonio Railroad tracks and yeah. the story of the, the kids yes, pushing yes, the bus. Yes. And, uh, yeah, there was I was far scarier than the San Anto- the ghosts of the, the San Antonio Railroad tracks, but we uh, pulled into this area with all these trailers and a woman came out with a shotgun and <laughs> <laughs> was like, okay, we're getting out of here. I think that was we, we Vicky and I investigated those real early in our time together. And is all you need to sort of debunk that is a plumb bomb and you're good to go. And it is one of the most unusual uh, spots because it truly looks like you are going up a fairly dramatic hill. Yeah, but when you yeah. hold that plumb bomb, you, you feel like you're standing level and it is at a 45 oh, degree angle. Bomb. Okay, sorry. Way. I thought you were saying some kind of plum bomb what's that okay i got it, I got it. sorry 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 if i were holding it down here it would be pointing straight at the ground but you stand on those damn railroad sure, tracks you're revealing your masonic secret Gary. that's what's happening <laughs> <laughs> got the, uh, i i can i can put it on you <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, believe it or not, I actually, for the viewers, I actually have a Masonic altar set up right here for your uh, for your viewing convenience. <laughs> this is actually out of a Masonic lodge in Texas. It's shut down. Yeah. Are you supposed to? Is it? Are you allowed to touch it without an apron? That's weird. Okay. So. I've got an apron back here. I can get all dressed up for you if you want. Yeah. Right. No, no, please don't. Okay, sorry. <laughs> So well, it sounds like we're going to have to have Jerry on again soon to talk about this uh, upcoming or well, this this investigation. Other investigations being exactly, and so I didn't mean to start a holy war. In the, I feel about chili the same way I feel about barbecue. I understand yeah. that everyone who creates it feels like it's the best in the world, yeah. and I just try to enjoy it when I'm there. But what I don't enjoy mm-hmm. is having it disappear. That is right. a tragedy. 
necessity. So, um, so I mean, yeah. even uh, even vegetarian chili is quite good. The recipe it, I make is. I make meatless Terlingua chili. It uses the same spice packet as they use down in Terlingua. And I mean, that's what that's the city that made Terlingua chili famous, although it was invented in San Antonio, uh, more or less. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, the, the spices that they use are pretty unique, you know, and when I go back to Texas, I always try to pick some up. Um, but you can find that recipe. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter what you make chili out of, like in the this idea that it's all got to be meat is fairly modern. Like in the night in the eighteen in the nineteen hundreds, they made it out of anything, anything, yeah. that, anything they could find. It's it, all to cold. me, it feels more like yeah, a, it's, a, it's like curry. It's it's yeah. like you turn whatever you have into a spicy treat. You know, so you yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so we're gonna wind Thank up. You so Thank you so much, Jerry. It's always fun to have you on. Always oh, yeah. good to see you and. Uh, great to keep in touch with you, and so we'll have to have you on again very soon for your eighth or ninth. It will be at number eight next time. Eight. I already got the blazer, so now I'm working towards well, the cattle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for everybody who tuned you in. Bet. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for tuning in, and uh, and we'll be back next week. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we. I think we need to finalize what we're going to be talking about and, and with whom. But uh, we've got more shows lined up for the next month, anyway, yeah. at least. Yeah, I think we're going to try to squeeze Skinwalker Ranch into an hour. That'll be fun. So we'll see how that goes. So. <laughs> the, new, the new TV show. Yeah. yeah, the new TV show. We should clarify. So. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I'm going to click the button, and then we'll have okay. a few seconds where we talk like we're on old sitcom, and then eventually yeah. we'll, it'll end. So. Good night, guys. Monster dog. You've been listening to a podcast version of Monster Talk Live, a special feature that we recorded during 2020. Links to the video version of these episodes are in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll work to continue to provide good content there, including more streaming events in the future. Monster Talk is a listener-supported program, and your subscription at patreon.com forward slash monster talk sustains us during these difficult times. Thank you for your support and for your positive reviews. I'm Blake Smith. And along with my co-host, Karen Stolzno, we ask you to join us in being the voice of reason and science in a world that's perilous with nonsense, superstition, and dangerous misinformation. Shine your lights, everyone. Even a flickering candle can be seen for miles in the darkness. And together, we are stronger. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.